Hello and welcome to Living Hope. This is Pastor Staten, and I want to welcome everybody that is joining us today. A shout out to our E family, all of you that are joining us through the internet. I want to remind you every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, you can join us live at tv.livinghopemd.com. I pray that today's message blesses you and that you enjoy the word as it is shared today. I'm so lost to be found, and I know it's in my mind. As a church, so the church as a family, I guess I should say. So my wife is going to be coming tonight, and uh, she's going to be teaching. Amen. Tomorrow's her birthday, so it'll be extra anointed tonight. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Y'all can be seated. Happy birthday to Brooke tomorrow, too. She was born at 1, I think it was like 1.17 a.m. on my 20th birthday. I just barely made it out of being a teenage mom. <laughs> I was married, so it wouldn't matter, but anyways. <laughs> but happy birthday to Brooke. She'll be 20, what am I going to be, 44? So you'll be 24. All right. That's one way to keep it figure out how to know. It's just exactly 20 years. So, amen. We're going to go right into the Word of God. Um, this lesson that I'm going to teach tonight, I taught it actually about two years ago, I think. Um, hopefully, maybe some of y'all won't remember it. <laughs> no, but I was, I was praying about kind of where we wanted to go, and this lesson has actually been on my mind and my heart for um, a few weeks now. And it was kind of like God was bringing it back up to me. And I was like, well, God, I've already taught this lesson at Living Hope. And, uh, but he just kept kind of putting it in my spirit. And so when my husband said, we're going to go back in and I'm going to start teaching again on Wednesday nights, I was like, all right, well, we're going to start off with this because I don't, you know, whatever. If God, some of y'all weren't here two years ago. How many of you, you have been here less than two years? There's a few of you, yeah. So see, this is for you tonight. <laughs> and the rest of you probably don't remember it. If you do remember it, just act like you don't, and it's the most revelatory thing you've ever heard, okay? <laughs> Amen. We're going to go to Psalms chapter 1, and um, I think I have it on the screen. But we're going to talk about lessons from the trees. I'm a nature gal. I love nature, and uh, I love to, like, tomorrow when my family leaves to go to Indianapolis, I'm going to watch nature shows. <laughs> That's what I do in my spare time when I have spare time. But um, anytime the girls walk in and I've got National Geographic or something on the screen, they're like, ugh, really, Mom? I'm like, you can learn so much from this. So um, I'm going to take some principles um, from God's word that we can learn from nature. So let's just, Psalm chapter 1, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. In verse 3, And he shall be like a tree. Tell your neighbor, you could be like a tree. <clears throat> Planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season, his leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Amen. You can be seated. I want to explore what exactly the Lord wants us to understand, because if you look through Scripture, there's a lot of um, references through the Word of God um, concerning uh, trees and being like a tree planted by the rivers of water. And, and for some reason, God seemed to equate certain characteristics of a tree to those of a righteous man. How many of you desire to be righteous? Amen? Because unrighteousness can't make it to heaven, so therefore, if you want to make it to heaven, I hope you raised your hand. I desire righteousness. I desire to be pleasing to God in everything that I do. 
When I pray in the mornings, I pray, God, let me be pleasing to you in the way that I talk, the way that I treat my family, the way that I treat the person down the road, the way I treat the cashier lady. God, I want to bring glory to your name through my actions. And that comes through a spirit of righteousness. Now, our righteousness, the Bible says, is like filthy rags. So we've got to have the righteousness of God. Amen. So I want to look at three trees that we can pull some principles from. The first one is the redwood tree. The sequoia redwood tree located in California, they are some of the biggest trees in the world. The General Sherman, as they've named it, is in fact noted as the largest known living single stem tree on earth. It is 275 feet tall. It's 25 feet in diameter and is approximately 2,500 years old. I feel young. I'll be 44 tomorrow. 2,500 is a long time. But something that huge, you would think this is a massive tree. It must have an incredible root system that goes down deep, maybe even miles deep down in order to stand that tall. But that's not the case with the redwood tree. The sequoia redwood tree has a unique root system that is really a marvel to this scientific world compared to how large they are. Their roots are relatively shallow. There is no tap root, which is a large anchoring root that most large trees have, but the sequoia redwood does not have that to anchor them deep into the earth. The roots actually only go down 6 to 12 feet. Think about that in comparison to a 275-foot tree, and its root, its anchor root only goes down to 6 to 12 feet, and yet these trees rarely fall over. They withstand strong winds, they withstand earthquakes, fires, storms, and flooding. So how can something up to 500 tons, reaching over some of them 350 feet in height, and live for many centuries, remain standing with roots that only go down about 10 feet? The interesting thing about the redwood tree is that their root system is intertwined with the other redwood trees, and they are literally holding each other up. Can you get what I'm putting down? The trees grow very close together, and they're dependent on each other for nutrients. Only redwoods have the strength and ability to support other redwoods. So beneath the surface of these humongous tall trees are roots like an army of men intertwined who have their arms interlocked, standing and supporting one another. They are preventing the adversaries of life from knocking each other down. They are also making sure there is plenty of nutrients for growth to continue. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verses 9 through 12 says, two are better than one. Turn to your neighbor and say, you need me. <laughs> if it's your spouse, you should say it with fervor. You need me. You know you need me. And now turn to your, your neighbor and say, and I need you. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him. Verse 11, again, if two lie together, then they have heat, but how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. I'm thankful for the church. I am so thankful for the church. Amen. I'm thankful for our local church, Living Hope. There's no other place that I would rather be. Because we are a family of believers who exist to build strong families. Good job. I, I may have butchered that. I don't know. Um, I need, it's out there. We need it on the back wall. Can we get a mural of it painted back there so we don't forget it? But there's nothing like the church. Hebrews 10.25 says, and we've heard this scripture, especially uh, in the last few years, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. We need each other. 
and we need to be in church. Amen? We find excuses. It's amazing to me the excuses that people miss church for, but they wouldn't dream of missing a day of work. They wouldn't dream of missing little Buddy's, you know, baseball game or little Susie's whatever she's got going on. Wouldn't dream of it, but... Yeah, church is, it's optional. Unfortunately, our world is in the shape it's in right now is because church has become optional. And it's not become optional to the world, it's become optional to the saints. That we find any reason not to show up and we'll make any excuse. We need to be faithful to the house of God. You need to be in the house of God. And that's not me just saying it because I'm the pastor's wife. I'm saying it because the Bible says don't forsake assembling yourselves together even so much more as you see the return of the Lord is coming. We need the church. I heard a preacher say, the question is not whether I can do something and still be saved. It's about if I do that thing and you follow my lead, can you be saved? Think about that. A lot of times we get so hung up on, well, I mean, can I, you know, is it a salvation issue? Like, should I do this? You know, can I still make it to heaven and still just have a beer every now and then? Or can I make it to heaven and do this and you can fill in the blank, whatever your deal is? But it's not all about you. It's not all about you. It's not all about me. It's about if somebody, which the next generation after me is watching me, and they follow my lead, will they be lost? You have a responsibility, and we're all adults in here, except for a few that are not 18 yet, but you still have a responsibility because you know right from wrong, so you don't get out of it. But there's little kid, Dakota and Izzy, those little girls over here, they watch you guys. I've watched them watch you guys. I don't know. I'm putting you on the spot. You're not supposed to do that. I'm going to put you on the spot because you have a responsibility just like the adults in the room. Adults, we've got a responsibility to the ones watching us how we respond. How are we going to respond when the preacher steps on our toes? How are we going to respond whenever, you know, there's a tragedy in our life? They're going to watch us and they're going to take from our example So I want you to think about that when you want to cop an attitude or you get mad at your sister or brother next to you because they sat in the seat next to you and you didn't want them to sit that close. (laughs) All right, that's a silly example. I'm sure no one in here has ever had that happen. Right? Amen. But we must understand that the influence we have is about other people. It's not just about ourselves. Have you ever been around someone who's oblivious to the fact that other people are watching them? There's been times when there'll be like a group at a restaurant and they're just loud, obnoxious. They think they're the only ones in the restaurant and it drives me up a wall. (laughs) I'm like, look, I know this is your world and we're all just living in it, but I would like to eat my dinner and be able to hear the person across the table from me. I don't say that. I want to say that, but I don't say that. But you've been around people, don't nudge anyone and don't look around and point, but you've been around people, I'm sure, who sometimes are just oblivious to the fact that there's other people around. We need to be aware there's people watching me. There's people that they're going to take their lead from what I'm doing. And I have a responsibility to worship even in the trial. I have a responsibility that I'm going to stand up here and I'm going to give God glory even when I don't understand what God is doing. Because at the end of the day, he is a good God. And he's been better to me than I've been to myself. We sing it all the time. But we should worship like that even when we don't feel like he's been good to me. Amen. Paul said in Hebrews, exhort one another. What does that mean? Exhort one another. Well, Hebrews 10, 24, which is the scripture right before he said that, he said, let us consider one another to provoke one another, not to anger, not picking and, you know, saying all the trigger things that you know is going to make them mad. That's not what he's talking about. He said, provoke unto love and to good works. 
We should be encouraging one another. Whenever you see your brother or your sister or somebody in the church is a little discouraged because sometimes we can wear that. It's just our humanity. We're not always going to come in on cloud nine. But if you see them struggling, don't say, well, that's their business. Now, you don't have to go up to them and be like, okay, tell me everything. Tell me all the tea, okay? Some stuff ain't your business. But when, they, when you see them struggling, go and say, hey, look, I don't know what's going on, but I know that I'm praying for you. And don't leave, and I think I've talked about this before, pray for them right then. Don't wait until the next day or the week after, and then you find, oh, I told them I was going to pray for them. Lord Jesus, touch them. I don't know what they're going through, but Lord, you do. In Jesus' name, amen. That way you can go back and tell them, hey, I prayed for you this week. And it was effectual and fervent. No, it wasn't. You totally forgot. (laughs) So right then and there, just pray for them. I'm telling you, you don't know what it can do for somebody to know that just somebody cares that somebody notices that you're struggling. Now, don't be that person that tries to get everyone to notice where you're like, I'm so sad. This, my life is terrible and they're not noticing, so I got to pout even more. Don't be that person, okay? There are times, though, whenever we are struggling and you see that, you need to take initiative, go to them and say, I love you. I'm praying for you. You're not in this by yourself. Amen? Ladies, how many of us have had meals brought to us when we had babies? We had Sister Tice, she's over that ministry, and when, when a, one of the members of Living Hope has a baby, we bring meals to them. How many of you have been recipients of those meals? And they're yummy <laughs> most of the time. I've never had a bad one. <laughs> I'm just, I've never had a bad one. I don't know if someone else did. But... <laughs> But it's the thought that counts, right? That's what they say. It's the thought that counts. But we, you know, that's, that's, part, that's a benefit of being part of the body of Christ is when you have a baby, you get a meal from Living Hope. <laughs> that's a, hey, when you have a baby, that is a huge benefit, folks. Let me just tell you. Brother Christian's clapping his hands because he stayed fed and whole while his wife was recovering from having a baby. So it's a blessing. (laughs) But we rejoice with one another when there's a testimony given. I love it when there's a testimony shared, especially when it's right before we do our tithers declaration and everybody just rejoices. That's what a family does. That's what a family should do. When, when somebody needs healing, we come together and we pray. We mention names every single service around here of people that we're praying for. That's a benefit of being part of the family of God. I'm not in this life alone. Even if you're single and you don't have a family at home, how many of you singles have gone over to, I know, Simone, you spend most of your days at the Simpkins. You're just part of the family. And you, you connect with people, and that is such a great benefit of the body. When we're hurting, when you're mourning, when you've had tragedy in your life and there is pain, you have a church family that comes and helps lift your arms up when you don't have the strength to lift them yourself. That's a benefit of being part of the body. The church is the greatest place to be. Is it messy? Yep. But so was the ark, and that was really the best place to be. It is the greatest place to be. I'm thankful. And you know, I, I heard a preacher talk parallel the Noah's ark to the church. You know, Noah's ark was stinky. I mean, it was stinky, and it can get stinky in the church sometimes. But you know what you do as a family? You learn how to work through it and pray through it, and giving each other the benefit of the doubt, amen, that's a huge part of it. Just give each other the benefit of the doubt. Let's not just assume everyone's out to kill you, all right? Not everyone out is, to de- is there to destroy you, but give each other the benefit of the doubt. I believe that you did not intentionally hurt me. That's the first thing, because sometimes we get so victim-minded that we're like, oh, they planned that, They meant to hurt me. They just don't love me. They don't care about me. No, sometimes people have stuff going on, and it was an oversight. It was not intentional. And if you can get that through your head, it will solve a lot of church conflict. 
right off the bat, is that I'm going to assume that you did not do that intentionally. Amen? Amen. But just like the roots of the redwood tree interlock with each other, and that is what keeps them from falling during the strongest of winds and storms, we've got to interlock with one another. We've got to be that army because the enemy is attacking. The, the attack is on. So what happens if we start attacking within? The enemy, we do his job for him. But we've got to come together in unity and say, all right, we're walking this path together. Come hell or high water, I'm going to be by your side, whether you like it or not. There's been times when I didn't want the help of people. Is there anyone out there? We've talked about this, the whole independent thing. You know, it's like, I can do it myself. I don't need help. And there's been people that come and say, I'm going to help you. And you're like, no, I'm good. I'm good. I, I don't need any help. And they're like, I'm helping you. And I don't care what you say about it. Well, in the long run, I'm really thankful for those people because I look back and think there's no way I could have got through that by myself. So we've got to come together, and if we can do that, we will be unbreakable. We will be a force to be reckoned with, and we will take this community for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? A church is not great because it's perfect. It's great because the saints know how to love imperfect people. We are not perfect. Don't expect perfection out of your friend and your neighbor whenever, you know, you want mercy and you want grace because you know you're not perfect. So don't expect them to be perfect. Let's act and live in a place of grace. Amen? The mustard tree. The mustard tree. Now, how many of you have seen a mustard tree? We've all seen a mustard seed, and we've put mustard on our hamburgers. <laughs> But I, I don't think that I've seen, I may have, because I think there, there's some that are out west, and I just didn't realize it was a mustard tree. But Matthew chapter 13, verses 31 through 32 says, Another parable put he forth unto them, speaking of Jesus, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like to a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field which indeed is the least of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is the greatest among herbs and becometh a tree so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. Now, a mustard seed, as we know, is the smallest of seeds. It's very, very small. However, when you plant a single mustard seed, it grows to produce a great tree, which is just amazing to me. That in and of itself is just so cool. Like God can take something so tiny and make something great out of it. I mean, that's a whole sermon in and of itself. But the mustard tree will generally attain a height no taller than 25 feet, which is still a good-sized tree, with fleshy one-and-a-half to two, thir- two three-inch leaves. Its branches reach low to the ground and are very widespread. As you can see in that picture, they go out very wide, the branches of this tree. And this makes this tree attractive to birds of the air to set up nest and lodge in the branches. So I was interested in the significance of why Jesus would use the example of this tree in a parable situated between two other parables with a similar message. So if you were to read the context of that whole scripture, this mustard seed parable that Jesus is saying is sandwiched in between two other parables. The parable that is preceded by the, par- by the mustard seed is the parable of the wheat and the tares, or the wheat and the weeds. That's basically what, what tares are. They're weeds. And when Jesus is there, he's telling the crowd that there is wheat growing, but anywhere there's wheat, there's going to be weeds in the harvest. And you must burn the weeds and harvest the wheat. So there's a principle there of separating the bad from the good, right? That's, that's a real just dumbed down kind of uh, exa- uh, uh, explanation of it. And the principle of being able to separate those that would come and try to choke out the word of God and prohibit the harvest of souls in the church. So he's saying, look, there's going to be a harvest, but in that harvest, there's going to be weeds. And you're going to have to do some weed eating. (laughs) You're going to have to take care of those weeds. You're going to have to burn them out or they're going to choke out that wheat. They're going to choke out the harvest. 
Then immediately following the parable of the mustard seed, he speaks another parable of the leaven or the yeast in the bread. And each of these parables are pointing to the same principle about the kingdom of God. And that principle is separating, separation, really, separation. There's got to be a time when we separate some things. And we take care of some things that are trying to choke the life out of the church. And I already said it, the church is imperfect, right? Amen? It's important to know that throughout Scripture, birds of the air are symbolic of evil. So when you see that in Scripture, a lot of times it's symbolic of of evil in our day. So understanding that, we can kind of look at this parable and see what Jesus is trying to convey. The picture painted in the parable of the mustard seed by Jesus is of the humble beginnings of the church. It's a small mustard seed, a humble beginning. And then it expands and it experiences an explosive rate of growth. I mean, Acts, you know, there was 3,000 in one day was added to the church. That's pretty incredible growth. (laughs) I don't know if you know that. And I'm not a church growth specialist, but 3,000 in one day is pretty good growth. It grows large. It becomes a source of food, rest, and shelter for both the believers and false professing individuals that come in and try to consume or take advantage of its benefits while residing or mixing among what was produced by the seed. Does that make sense? You guys following me? In other words, Jesus predicts that while the church will grow extremely large from just a small start, it will not remain pure. While this is not a condemnation of large church or the bigness of Christianity, it does show us the greatest burden that comes with it. And the parable of the mustard seed from the mustard tree is both a prediction and a warning. And I believe the warning is this from Jesus is a call to hold fast to doctrine and holiness. I've been around a while, and there's always someone who comes in, and most of you, most of you can pick up on some of those folks, because I know you do, because you turn and try to look at my reaction to those folks, (laughs) and I really hate it when y'all do that. Could you stop doing that? (laughs) Because it really, that's why I sit up here, so y'all can't see my face. I'm going to just look forward. But there's people that come in that claim they have no pastor in their life. They're submitted to no spiritual authority, but they will walk up in a church and just create havoc. They'll come in and pretend to be spiritual. They'll speak in tongues louder than all of us put together. And they'll come in here and say they got a word from God. And if you are not wise, and if you are not tuned in to the spirit of God, and if you're not uh, read up on the word of God, you will be taken unaware. You will be. Because they prey on weak saints. And a weak saint is someone who's not praying, so they have no spiritual discernment whatsoever. And it's someone who's not reading the word, so if, the, if a person walks up to you and says, God said this, this, and this, and it's contrary to what the word of God says, but you don't know that because you ain't been reading your word. You're going to be taken out. So my warning to you is that as the day approaches, we better know our word. You better know the word of God. Because there's been folks that walk in here. We've been here, we've been pastoring 15 years, but we've been in ministry in this church for 25 years. You longer than that, but married 25 years. And we have seen it so many times. These, these chairs could be filled, and we would already have to have phase two if we didn't have folks who were weak. And, when, and I'm not trying to be offensive. Please, please don't take this as offensive. But you're not strong enough if you're not reading your word. You don't know what the Bible says. So someone would come up to you and say, hey, God said to do 15 jumping jacks, 17 push-ups, and you'll be healed. And you're like, oh, yes. Let's do-. Well, there's no Bible for that. All right? Say, okay, if God said that, first of all, who's your pastor? Recently, we had somebody show up and spoke some things into one of my daughter's lives, which is, I'm fine with people speaking into my children's lives if I know that you pray. (laughs) 
But this individual, I ain't got no clue who this person was. First time ever saw them. And they come up and start telling one of my children what the will of God was for her life. And you guys know me, okay? And I was like, okay, I'm just going to stand here, which I walked up after the fact, but this person had moved on to tell my husband what the will of God was for my daughter's life. And I was like, oh, Jesus, be a fence. <laughs> and um, so I, I just moseyed on over, you know, just casually walked over just to listen. And this person was just going in, you need to tell her to da-da-da-da-da, and this is the will of God for her, and she don't have faith because she should be getting a Ph.D. And, and Brooke told the person, look, the biggest hindrance is money. You got money? <laughs> oh, sorry, I just said who it was. Wow, I am so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but they said, well, we're already, we are already in, so let's just go. But <laughs> this person told her that it was the will of God for her to go to college. She said, what is, why won't you go to college? And Brooke said, well, first of all, I don't know that that's God's will for my life, but also it's really expensive to go to college. And she said, well, you just don't have faith, do you? Oh, Jesus. So... I, but I learned about this after she walked away from Brooke, and so she was already moved on to my husband and was telling him what he needed to know. And you guys know, he's so nice. <laughs> he's so nice. And I'm standing there, and he's like, oh, and he's smiling, you know, and he's giving me a look, and I know that look. <laughs> and I tried to ignore that look. I was like, he's not, he's not looking at me. He's fine. <laughs> So, so anyway, um, the, the individual looked at me and said, oh, you don't like what I'm saying. I was like, oh, we're going to have to go in the back. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I was not going to get violent. I'm not that Well, anyway. And so, anyway, anyway, I had to let her know in, you know, she doesn't go to church anywhere. She has no spiritual, no spiritual authority that she's under. She's just rogue. God didn't call anybody to go rogue, okay? So if somebody comes to you and says, this is the will of God for your life, you need to ask them, who's your pastor? And are they in truth? Look, we got to be smart, okay? We got to be smart about some things, and we got to engage some common sense. Don't just let anybody walk up and speak into your life, Right? And so I told the individual, I said, well, if it was God's will for her to go to college, first of all, God will speak to her spiritual authority, which is her pastor. And she says, well, you're a little biased, aren't you? I was like, I'm about to walk away. And my husband looked at me and he was like, mm-mm. and I was like, I, he could see it was, whoo, is that righteous indignation is what we're going to call it. I'm not sure how righteous it was, but it was something. And uh, so later he told me, he said, Valerie, sometimes you just got to let those people talk. And I'm like, "Mm mm-mm. Sister Valerie can't do that. (laughs) Which thankfully my daughter was smart enough to know, you know, Brooke wasn't like, oh, you are right. I'm going to apply right now even though I don't have $150,000 to pay for college. (laughs) She was smart and was like, yeah, you know. So be smart. That's all I'm saying. I don't even know how I got off on all this. Oh, people are going to come in. That's what it was. Folks are going to come in, and they're going to test me, <laughs> but they're going to they're try you. They're going to see. They're going to they're gonna start speaking things into your ear because what they want is influence. See, Satan lost influence when he got kicked out of heaven, and so what he does is he tries to come into a church and grab someone's ear and start whispering. They won't get in the microphone a lot of times. What they'll do is find one of you out there and see if you're susceptible to it. And they'll start questioning the pastor, and they'll start questioning the preaching, and they'll start questioning. And then you sit back and go, oh, wow, maybe, maybe there's something there. Why is pastor preaching like that? Why, why is he making that decision? Or why is so-and-so in the church looking at me like that? We, start, we just lose our minds. So we've got to be aware. You've got to be smart. You've got to be read up on the word, and you need to have spiritual discernment. 
I'm not saying you don't just not trust everybody, but I'm kind of saying that. <laughs> Try the Spirit. Try it. Are they submitted? Are they in the Word? And then you go straight to your spiritual authority and see if it matches up with what he feels. And if somebody has a problem with pastor, you should invite them. Hey, let's go talk to pastor about it. Nine times out of ten, they'll be like, oh, I'm good. I'm out. And then you won't see them. Because when you call them out on it, they hit the door. Amen. All right. I'm going to move on. (laughs) Titus chapter 1. Titus tells us, speaking of the role of leaders in the church, saying, hold fast the faithful word that he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers. Listen to what it says right here. Especially they of the circumcision, which means especially church folks. These ain't going to be folks that, you know, come in that they're obviously off their rocker. And that's probably not politically correct to say. We can scratch that from the recording. But they're going to be sneaky. And you'll be like, oh, they speak in tongues. They must be spiritual. Whose mouths, look, look what verse 11 says, whose mouths must be stopped. That's why I have really low tolerance for that mess. When someone comes in and they start causing distractions in a church service and they try to speak out over what pastor's doing or what the worship team is doing or whatever, and they're causing a distraction, distraction is not of God. And I have very little tolerance. I, tr- I have tried, y'all. I try to be, you know, I'm like, okay, you know, maybe... But then I'm like, no, they're, now it's on my nerves, and they're causing chaos. And when a distraction comes in, and we allow it, and we just are like, well, just let them have their way. Well, guess what's happening? Somebody who might be new here that needs to hear what's being preached is now distracted by foolishness happening. That's why we have instructed our ushers <laughs> in some things, and we've trained our ushers, and they do a really, really good job of taking care of some unruly folks. But we got to be smart. Don't be easily distracted. Usually, if you notice that there's a lot of distractions happening in a service, it's because God is trying to tell the church something, and the devil don't want you to hear it. So that means you need to tune in even more. If there's commotion going back there, don't turn around. The ushers will take care of it. Let the ushers do what they do. There's no need for half the church to turn around and look who's banging their head against the wall. (laughs) Okay? Not that that happens. I mean, I don't Has it happened? I don't think it's happened. (laughs) I mean, I wouldn't put it past anybody these days. But we've got, to be, we've got to be in tune with what God is saying. Some of your homes right now are in disarray because you have been listening to someone who's convinced you that holiness and righteousness unto God is not that big of a deal. And that the apostolics, they're just legalistic. Holiness is, you know, it's outdated. And I know I'm not supposed to talk about this up here. So you know, that's the thing. We only talk about holiness in our discipleship classes behind a classroom door. But I'm just going to talk a minute. But holiness is not just about women wearing dresses. It's a lot about modesty and dressing in a manner that brings glory to God and not to your body. Holiness is about being pleasing to God. We're trying to draw people to Jesus, not to our curves, ladies. Amen? And we have a responsibility to the men of this church and to the men in the community that we want to be saved to dress in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. But it's not just about modesty. It's about gender distinction as well. How many of you have noticed there's a lot of confusion happening in the whole gender scene? And it's, again, that principle of separation. God intended men to look and act and dress like men, and he intended women to look and act and dress like women. Amen? And it is very possible that we would not be dealing with the gender confusion right now 
and men wanting to wear skirts, which we would all be like, ooh, right? I mean, if a guy walks in in a skirt, I mean, nobody wants to see his hairy legs. It's gross. <laughs> I mean, I love you, but <laughs> I don't want to see you in a skirt. It's just disgusting, right? <laughs> it's just gross. It's not natural. But maybe, just maybe, if the Christian church as a whole would have maintained a doctrine of holiness 50 years ago and women weren't wearing what pertains to a man, maybe men wouldn't want to be wearing what pertains to a woman right now. And I know that's not nice. And I know that hurts feelings and I am not trying to hurt anybody. It is out of love, but it's also a stand for holiness and righteousness. We are dealing with perversion and filth in our world right now. And unfortunately, some of the blame goes on the Christian church as a whole because you can't tell some churches from a club now. Their worship looks like a club. The women on their platform look like they just stepped out of another place on the streets. And that I'm just telling you, that's We've had people come to our church that's, that have been very displeased with other denominational churches because the women on the platform are so immodest that you can't worship. You got women up here with showing every curve and crevice. How's a man supposed to think about the Lord? So at Living Hope, as long as we're here, there's going to be a holiness standard on this platform. But it goes beyond just the platform. If we're supposed to be the salt of the earth, if we're supposed to be drawing people to know more about the Lord, we have a responsibility to dress in a manner that doesn't cause them to lust. The Bible talks about being a stumbling block to your brother or your sister. And when you dress in a way that is unholy and revealing, you're a stumbling block. I'm sorry. I, no, I'm not sorry. I'm not apologizing. I changed my mind. I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings, but there's got to be a stand for righteousness. Our world is messed up. We got kids who don't know if they're a girl or a boy anymore. We've got children going up to children's hospital to have surgical procedures at 8, 9, and 10 years old to change their genders. We have introduced something. There is a spirit that has been introduced to this world that is absolutely demolishing our children. And some of us are dealing with it in our own homes. And it's time for some of you as parents that you better stand up for righteousness. Stop trying to be your child's best friend and say, in this house, we're not doing this, and we are doing this, like it or lump it. I don't know if that's politically correct either. So, for that reason, because we have a responsibility to this world, we are going to preach biblical doctrine. And I talked about this on Mother's Day. I'm not going to re-preach it. But we better make it plain. We better be very clear about where we stand and they need to hear it from the pulpit. Let me tell you something. People want to know what you stand for. They don't want to walk into a church and have to wonder. Okay, so let's preach it. Let's stand for it. Let's not be ashamed of it. I am so thankful for holiness. I am so thankful. I don't have to go to bed at night and toss and turn over what I've done, what I've watched, what I've listened to, because I've got some standards of holiness, and this goes beyond the way you dress. It's the way you treat people. It's what you watch on your screens. It's what you're looking at on your phone. It goes way beyond the outward appearance. Because you could have it all together out here, but inside be nasty. So let's just clean it up, the whole vessel. Let's clean up the inside and the outside. And then we can go out there and reach the world. Amen? The last tree is the aspen tree. Jeremiah 17, 8. I love the aspen tree. 
It's probably my favorite tree. But Jeremiah 17:8 says, For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters, and that spreadeth out her roots by the river. And this is part I want to focus on. And shall not see when heat cometh, but her leaf shall be green, and shall not be careful in the year of drought. Neither shall cease from yielding fruit. The aspen tree is a tall, silvery, has a silvery white trunk that reaches high into the sky. It's brilliant golden leaves. Like, that's beautiful. I want to build a log house right in the middle of those and just never come out. Uh, but it's just beautiful. I mean, I would come out to go to church because we don't want to miss church, right? Amen. <laughs> but these, these trees stand very tall. Um, they outshine any other tree around them because of their, their brilliant golden leaves. But aspens grow in a wide range of environmental conditions, from moist stream sides to dry ridges. They're on treacherous slopes. They're in shallow to deep soils. They really can grow anywhere. They're found in all mountain vegetational zones from the basal plains of the mountains to the alpines. And one aspen tree is actually only a small part of a larger organism. So if you have a group of aspen trees, they're called a stand. You know how a flock of geese or what are a flock of gander? Is that what a flock of geese are called? I think. Well, a flock of aspen trees are called a stand or a group. What is it? Did you say? I'm sorry. Okay. I think it's a gander. Or no, is that a female goose? Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, I have totally sidetracked, and now I really need to know what a group of geese are called. (laughs) If someone could look it up and let me know after church, please. Um, But a a group of aspen trees are called a stand, and they're um, considered a singular organism with the main life force underground in the extensive root system. Before a single aspen trunk appears before the, above the surface, the root system may lie dormant for many, many years until the conditions are just right for it to emerge. Even if the trees of a stand or a group are wiped out, it's very difficult to permanently extinguish a, an aspen's root system due to the rapid rate in which it reproduces. After researching different aspects of the aspen tree, I came across several sources from the U.S. Forest Service, as well as others that study the ecology of aspen trees, and they stated that the thing that causes an aspen tree to thrive and to reproduce other aspen trees, the one factor that enriches the soil, that enables hundreds of these beautiful majestic trees who are a benefit to the environment all around them, is fire. Fire. According to the U.S. Forest Service, fire appears to be necessary for the continued well-being of aspen on most sites. When there is no fire, many aspen stands are replaced by grass, shrubs, or conifers. They will simply disappear when there's no fire. Aspen trees have moist green leaves and thick twigs that do not burn easily, unlike conifers which have dry needles and twigs. Crown fires, a crown fire, if you ever um, have read about forest fires, are fires that jump from treetop to treetop. There's, there's really not a lot of surface fire, but it's in the treetops. Um, these fires, when I lived in New Mexico and there were, there were forest fires out there, a lot of them were these crown fires because it was kind of dry on the floor, <clears throat> but they would jump where all the greenery was on the top of the trees, and so the fire would spread so rapidly that way. So if there's a crown fire, they say that when these crown fires come to a group of aspen trees, they will generally extinguish by only getting within a few yards of these aspen trees. So the aspen trees will not burn that easily. Jeremiah 17.8 says, For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters, Later in that verse, it says, And shall not see when heat cometh, but her leaf shall be green, and shall not be careful in the year of drought. What I want to leave you with is don't despise the fiery trial. Don't become bitter in the suffering. The verse before this says, Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord, and whose hope the Lord is. 
When we trust the Lord, we become as a tree that's planted by waters, that spreads out her roots, and even when the heat comes, even when the fire around us is raging, it won't be destroyed, and we will continue to move forward and bring forth fruit even when the fire is there. What an awesome promise from the Lord. There's no, no one else can give you that guarantee. No one else, your job, your bank account, your education, nothing can give you that guarantee that even when you go through the fire, you won't be burned. But you're going to come through. 1 Peter 4, 12 through 13 says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. Don't look around and go, what in the world? Why is this happening to me? Change your perspective. Say, all right, here we go. (laughs) Put on your gloves and get ready for the fight and say, all right, God, I trust you. If you're you're allowing this, then I trust that you're going to bring me through it. Don't become bitter. Don't sit back and pout. Don't cross your arms and refuse to worship. But you come up here and worship every chance that you get. Say, God, I'm trusting you through this fiery trial. I don't know what's going to come of it, but I trust you. 2 Corinthians 12.9 says, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. It's in the fire where the power of God is revealed. If the three Hebrew children would have never been thrown into the fire, they would have never seen the delivering power of God. We wouldn't have a whole preaching sermon. Brother Calhoun preached recently when he was here, the missionary. He preached about the three Hebrew children. We wouldn't have sermons about them if they never went through the fire. Without sickness, we can't know him as our healer. So when you're going through it, just know that God's going to bring you. you got to put your trust in him and say, God, I trust you. This hurts. I don't like it, I want out, (laughs) but I trust you. And I trust that you're gonna bring me out when the time is right. And so it's better to just go with it. Just go with the fiery trial and say, all right, God, let's do this. If you fight against it, you're gonna be miserable. So it's better just to say, all right, God, I'm gonna trust you, and I know when I come through this, I'm gonna be better. So let's get it over with. It's kind of like, Lord, let me learn my lesson. Whatever it is you're teaching me, tell me right now so we can just move on. 1 Peter 5.10, but the God of all grace who has called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that you have suffered a little while, he will make you perfect. He will establish you. He will strengthen you and he will settle you. Amen. Amen. Um, I have more, but I'm going to quit because it's 10 after 8. So we can stand. And I want you to just, I don't know if you took notes. If not, you can go back and I don't know if they're going to put it on this. It could be very dangerous to put this on the website. I don't know. (laughs) Just who knows. But the redwood tree, let's link arms. Let's unify together. And let's be grateful for the church. Have you ever played Red Rover? Remember playing Red Rover where you just about got your head taken off whenever it's time to try to break through the other team's linked arms? Let's do that. Let's link arms and say, I need you. And I'm thankful. Don't expect perfection because I promise you we're all a bunch of very imperfect people. But let's show mercy. Let's show grace to one another. The same grace we want everyone else to give us, let's give that. Amen. Husband, come take the microphone, please. (laughs) Amen. Well, whether you know it or not, that was good. Amen. We need to hear that. Amen. Our world has... No issue with uh, teachers openly stating their sexual orientation and their perversion. And they're not afraid of that. But the, that somehow the enemy has turned it around to where the church is even afraid to admit that we believe in holiness. I mean, I remember when I was a kid, there, every church in town said they were holiness. Now nobody wants to admit it. It's like, no, we're not, we're not that. 
We are holiness. We are holiness. The Bible says, without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. We are, we are holiness. We're holy unto God. Amen. My wife gave some really good wisdom out tonight. I just want to recap a few things and then we'll let you go. She talked about those seducing spirits that enter into the church. And Paul, Paul warned against those. It's not new. But it'll come in among the, in the church. It'll make its way in. And they seem really spiritual. We get it, you know, we can get enamored. In the book of Revelation, there's a place where John is looking at the harlot. And God gets a little perturbed with John because John is getting mesmerized with this spirit that's drunk on the blood of the saints. And God has to wake him up because John is, we, in our humanity, we have a tendency to be mesmerized by the, the uh, sensational by the super spiritual. And if somebody comes up and gives you a word and they prophesy to you, we're quick to swallow that. Well, there's some things that, first of all, in 1 Timothy 3, Paul says this to Timothy. He said, hey, listen, before you're gonna let somebody lead you, you need to know, are they leading their own home? All right, if they're not, if, they, if their house is not in order, if their children are not in subjection to them, all right, if they're not leading, if their home is not in order, they... I, mean, I don't like that, Pastor. I, Paul said to Timothy, if they're not leading their own home, then you don't need to let them have a voice in your life. All right? That's, that's rule number one. If they're, if, they're not, if they're not under authority and if they're not exerting the right authority, that's a great thing that's going to keep you from... Don't listen to every person that comes up to you and gives you a word because you'll end up confused. You'll end up in a mess. Amen? First thing I want to know is are you under a word? Before you give me one, are you under a word? Secondly, are, how are you ruling the things that you're responsible for? Because it's easy to just walk in. Well, God gave me a word for you. All right? That was a lot of wisdom that she shared tonight. I hope you got it. it it'll save you from some trouble down the road. Amen? And then she talked about holiness. And we are. We're, we're not going to stop being a holiness church. As, as she said, as long as I'm the pastor here, we're going to have a standard on this platform. All right, but it shouldn't be that. It shouldn't be just a standard on this platform. It should be a standard on the pew as well. Amen. It should be, a, be holiness. The Bible says without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. I, I believe that means salvation. But guess what? When they see your holiness, they see the Lord in you. And, and the thing that's happening in the church is, or in, in the modern church today is the world's getting more crazy and the church is just following right along with it. We got churches that are preaching now that homosexuality is okay, that God's okay with that. We got churches that are being pastored by openly homosexual. And I'm not, I'm not for hate. I think we should love everybody. But the pulpit, all right, it should be a sacred place. The pulpit should be a place where we're upholding holiness. I mean, God is not okay with homosexuality. He's not okay with that. All right, he, he, he does, he died for that so that we could be saved from that just like he died for every other sin. But, but the church has got to stop this slide where we just go along with the world and we got to stand up and say, no, we believe in the word of God. We believe in holiness. We believe in righteousness. We believe in coming out from among them and being separate, saith the Lord. Amen. Well, I don't like that, Pastor. Well, then you're not going to like this church. Because we're not going that way. All right? God didn't, call, God didn't say a certain number he wanted me to save. He just said, preach the truth. And whoever's going to stay on this train, we're going to make it to heaven together. But we're not going the way the rest of this world is going. We're, go we're going to heaven. Amen? We're going to heaven. We're going to follow the Lord. We're going to follow his word. Amen? Amen. So we're going to be like trees. We're going to link arms. Man, we're going to link arms together. We're going to hold one another up. We're going to strengthen one another. We're going to support one another. We're going to love each other. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Sister Valerie, Sister Staten, for that great word. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm, I'm not sure if she should have that authority to say that. She has that authority because I gave it to her. All right. She has she, everything she said tonight was in line. It was in order. So don't, don't let the enemy rob you. I know how the enemy works. Everything you need to hear tonight, you'll lose it because the enemy planted something in your mind. Well, I'm not sure if she should have said that. I'm just, I'm going to ease that for you right now. Everything she said, she said, she should have said. All right? 
she, she had the authority to say, all right? She's, I was in a meeting earlier with Brother and Sister Mays, a good meeting, don't worry, they were in trouble, and she said, he's my, was it ride or die? All right, Valerie, Valerie's been by me through some things. All right, she stood when, when, when other people didn't stand with me, she stood with me. She's earned the right to say some things around here. All right? Amen. So I, anyway, I don't know if I need to say that, but there's refreshments in the back. God bless you all. How do you end that one? How do you end a good service like that? God bless you. Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without knowing the exact path that it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. Be sure to subscribe and watch us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Also, visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. So I'm going to